0: Today's reading is Mark fourteen, twenty seven to thirty one and sixty six through seventy two. It can be found on page nine hundred and forty of the Bible's next to your seats as well as on the screen. This is God's word. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. The word of the Lord.
1: From all this mixture of places, Help us to have some humility to know that we're all the same in one universal way, that we're all more of a mess than we care to admit. When we come before you and we look to, to, to question about you and to, to receive some words from you or to, to find out more about you, we come frail, fragmented, and broken. And then we find in this story, every week we find words that tell us that you move towards broken people. And the story of Jesus Christ himself is a story of you moving towards broken people, taking on the brokenness yourself to relieve us and to bring us home. That is grace for our parched hearts. Please satisfy our spiritual thirst now. Speak to us through that grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this week... There was a lot of talk about a news story that came out of an information leak. And I don't know if you followed it at all. It was really, really big news. This, this guy uh, who ended up being in Hong Kong and breaking the story about um, the government um, getting involved in listening to all these phone conversations. Um, and basically it's, um, you know, it, it was this contract with Verizon right? The, that all these phone calls are being monitored and listen, listened to. And so, you know, I can't help but, but think that, you know, it's, it's this big megaphone message to, to all terrorists out there to switch from Verizon to AT&T. <laughs> um, and, uh, but also, on a, on a less, you know, humorous note, um, it makes me think about how many stories, do you ever notice how many stories involve uh, some kind of source that's leaking information that isn't supposed to be leaked. And so many times I read a news story and it, and it talks about, you know, um, that the source close to, close to the matters that we're talking about um, shared this information on the condition of anonymity. You know, we can't name this person because they, they're sharing on the condition of anonymity. And every time that happens, you just got to be picturing that that, that, that as that article is being read by some CEO somewhere or some person in charge at the Vatican or, or a chief of staff at the White House, as they read that, um, you know, some army colonel or something, they're going, you know, they're just kind of boiling with with this sense of, like, who has, who has been disloyal, right? Like, who is this person? You know, hopefully you have this inner circle of people, and they're all going to... And you say, you know, no, nobody leaks this, this is, you know, and then somebody does. And I, I can't help but think that there's just constantly these experiences of, of someone, some leader experiencing their disloyal followers um, and having to kind of rally everyone and say, who did it? You know, who let this go? It's a big deal. We're talking about um, the apprentices of Jesus, you know, his protégés, and we're, yeah, we're out of order on the Gospel of Mark because we're just zeroing in on this idea of Jesus takes on apprentices. And so what do we learn from that? What do we learn from that? And what do we learn today about Jesus and our loyalty? Jesus and your loyalty. What, do, what can we learn from this passage about that? Actually, very surprising what comes out. it's very surprising. Jesus is consistently surprising, especially when you compare it to our modern day, to our normal ways of of functioning, when you compare it to the disloyalty that you see uh, today in today's world. And so there's some surprising things we're going to look into, and basically they lead us to, really into the heart of the power that a Christian has in their relationship with Jesus. So let's look at this and discover what I'm talking about here as we look at Peter's denial, we've got um, two things that we're going to look at, two surprising things. The first is that Jesus enlists the unfaithful. He enlists the unfaithful. And secondly, he restores or reinstates the fearful. So first, he he enlists the unfaithful. Um, Peter... Peter and Jesus have this exchange where Jesus says, you will all fall away. And Peter uh, says, no, I won't. I'm going I'm to outperform all the other ones. I'm going I'm to be the one who stays with you all the way. I'm, I'm not going to disown you. And uh, Jesus insists that he knows that he is going to do this. And it's really not long. It's really astonishing if you think about it. Maybe you have some sense that... Um, in your life there are things you want, want to follow through on. It might be a little difficult to follow through on it, and you know it's going to be difficult. So you, maybe you have some accountability. Maybe you tell someone. That's one of the little uh, social psychology secrets, right, is that if you tell someone about it, then you're more likely to follow through. So um, you have a conversation with somebody about how you're going to follow through on this. And you, you hope that, that just that itself, that accountability, and maybe a couple other things that you set in place, reminders on your iPhone and whatnot, um, and they're going to, you know, you're going to follow through. None of us have an accountability system as good as the one Peter had in the story. I mean, basically, he has this incredibly intense confrontational, uh, you know, accusatory, really, Jesus is accusing him. He, he's going he's gonna to deny him. You have this interaction, and then within a couple of hours, you have a chance to prove yourself or not. I mean, it's just, it just happened. He just... Says this to Jesus, and then it's, his chance comes within hours. And it's interesting when you look at the layers of this, because most people just zoom right over to focusing on how, you know, he, he did once Jesus was was captured. Then he, like our story said, he denied him three times. But also between those two things, um, what happened was Jesus takes some of his closest proteges, including Peter, and he goes to pray. And this is the agonizing. Uh, Gethsemane prayers where Jesus is wrestling with what he has to do. This is the, the key, critical, deep emotional moment for Jesus in his calling in life. And he asks his, his closest few to come with him and, 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 and take watch and to pray. And, and already here, there's something with threes in this gospel here because three times Jesus comes back and finds Peter asleep. He finds his, his closest ones asleep, but he mentions specifically Simon. He says, Simon, are you still asleep? Three times. Already that has happened. Peter's kind of said, ah, stay awake. I don't know, I'm kind of bored, right? Like, Jesus is in agony crying out about what he has to do. And then we get to our passage um, about you know his, his denial once Jesus is captured and and you wonder, well, how unfaithful is he? How, how extreme of a unloyal moment is this? Basically, if you look at the language of this, I'm convinced that the best way to interpret um, the language is not necessarily what we have that we read here. When it talks about um, Peter calling down curses, um, I'll just save you a lot of explanation, but um, there's an there's a extremely strong case you can make for Peter was calling down curses on someone and that someone was Jesus. In fact, he he was trying so hard to separate himself and remove himself from Jesus that he wanted to do what would finally prove it for these people asking him. And so he curses Jesus as a way to say, no follower of Jesus would do what I'm about to do. I'm going to curse the name of Jesus. So... In all points, I mean, you can go on and on, but in all points, it's a dramatic, dramatic moment of disloyalty. And what we have to sort out about that is this Jesus knew about it, he knew it was coming. That's what we have to think about. That's what we have to sort out. What do you do with that information? Jesus knew in advance that he was enlisting a failure. How does that sit with you? And what is it? You know, a lot of us will say, well, what does that say about us? Or what does that say about Peter? And I just want to say, I want us to focus on what does that say about God? What does that say about God? That when he comes into our life, he, he knows in advance the failure. You look at this passage, and it's very specific. He knows when. He knows where it's going to happen tonight before the rooster crows twice. You yourself will disown me three times. Very specific. He knows the specifics of the failure and the disloyalty. Common sense wisdom, and I've read a lot of this in leadership books, common sense wisdom says what you want to do when you're starting something or um, leading something is you want to get the right people on the bus. You know? You heard that phrase, you want to get the right people on and I think uh, implicit in that is you want to filter out potential, um, you know, flakiness or disloyalty. You want to you keep people like Peter off the bus, in a sense. The common sense says, you know, pick your team, get the, the um, high achievers on board, get the loyal people on board. Um, Manufacture the smooth sailing that will come ahead. Jesus has a different approach. In the worship guide, there's this quote by Dan Allender in uh, one of the most provocative and, and, I think, one of my favorite titles of a book that there is. Is it's called "Leading with a Limp." He talks about the power of reluctant leadership in the Jesus community. He says this, here is God's leadership model. He chooses fools to live foolishly in order to reveal the economy of heaven, which reverses and inverts the wisdom of this world. He calls us to brokenness, not performance, to relationships, not commotion, to grace, not success. It is no wonder that this kind of leadership is neither spoken of nor admired in our business schools or even our seminaries. And I think he's right. I think God works on a different kind of economy. I think God, in choosing people, chooses differently. He has a different picture in mind. And I want you to think about how that applies to yourself. Do you ever, do you ever imagine in your, in your failures... Um, and maybe in some sense you're already doing this, that you you have a sense you have to bring your failures to God, or you have to have this exchange at some point with God. Um, You know, have I let you down, God? How's this conversation going to go? Do you ever imagine, do you find yourself imagining that God is surprised by your unloyalty, by your mistakes, by your failures? God's not surprised. You think he's scandalized in some way by your failures? God's not scandalized. In fact, the way he talks about this, where he's already talking about what's going to happen afterward. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. He's got to have figured out where these mistakes and these failures and this unloyalty, he's got a sense of where it's going to go. Can you be open to that as you bring your failures to God? As you bring your unloyalty to him, that there's a sense in which there's a door that opens up through them. Now, of course, I don't know if I even have to say this because maybe someone says, well, then, oh, it's good to have, it's good to fail. <laughs> it's good to be unloyal to Jesus. No, it's not. No, 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 no. No, don't, you know, don't tell your friends that's what I said today. No, but specifically, look, look at what Peter, what it says. It says at the very end, the last part we read, and he broke down and wept. So there's appropriate heaviness and brokenness and regret and repentance is another good word, kind of turning to God. And yet to have the faith in the sense that God enlists unloyal, disloyal, even flaky people. It has so much grace. So plunge your failures into that grace. Plunge your failures into that way that Jesus operates. But secondly, look at this. Um, We have to learn that Jesus restores the fearful. Um, there was this uh, terrifying story in the news uh, several weeks back where um, a couple of men in London um, attacked a random uh, military officer and actually beheaded him in the street in public. And it, it was just a terrifying thing, and there was some amateurish kind of video that was kind of turned on after it happened, and, and one of the attackers just came and kind of gave his message to this, video, this camera, you know, and part of what the stories that came out, I, I should have went back and revisited a little bit, like more of the specifics, but w- one of the things I read about was that there was a woman who had the courage and the, the bravery and somehow wasn't afraid and went up and started engaging and talking to the attackers, you know, after they had done what they had just done. And, you know, of course, then there's, there's people writing about that and, and puzzled about that because I, I know certainly myself, I, I would not have... <laughs> drawn near to anything like that that's happening. Where does, you know, what was going on with that woman? Did she have some sort of secret? (laughs) What was her secret that got over those kind of normal human fears? There must have been something that she had. Peter, as you look at him, there's certainly fear that is keeping him at a distance and has him disowning Jesus in this instance. And you say, well, where do you see that? Well, if you look at verse um, 66 is where we picked up Um, where Jesus is now had followed Jesus down into where Jesus is being questioned. And um, and an interesting thing is there's a parallel questioning happening. Jesus is being questioned, and then Peter's being questioned. They're both being questioned. Um, But as Jesus is being questioned, the way that ends, in verse 65 it says, Then someone began to spit at him, or then some began to spit at him they blindfolded him struck him with their fists and said prophesy and the guards took him and beat him i read that because that's the last thing peter sees before he starts getting asked are you aren't you a galilean are you with aren't you one of them I mean, it's obvious right it's obvious what's going on he's terrified he's look at what he's just seen He's been the one who's been brave enough to follow Jesus. All the other disciples have just ran away, but he's followed. He's he's kind of there with the guards around the fire watching. But at this point, he can't hang in there anymore. He's scared. The gospel writer, Mark, we'll probably see this as we go throughout the series. He's constantly highlighting fear. When... uh, the gospel writers were writing their stories about Jesus, one of the things we often forget is that they're writing for a particular audience, a particular group of people, maybe regional, maybe kind of specific, or maybe just the idea of all Christians at this point in time. But even that's, you know, kind of specific. He wasn't writing for people with, um, you know, text messaging skills, right? So, I mean, this is, he was writing for a very particular group of people. So when Mark, it seems to consistently show people in the story who are interacting and reacting to Jesus as being afraid and terrified and full of fear. He's telling us something about who he wants the readers to relate to or what readers he's trying to relate to. Christians who, who have some belief in Jesus but are terrified and, and are maybe feeling a lot like Peter. And their loyalty is constantly in question amidst some of the early Christian persecutions that were happening. And so you, you go through this gospel and in... Um, in chapter 4, people are terrified because he's... The disciples themselves are terrified because he's spoken to the wind and the wind stopped. In chapter 5, they're terrified because a demon-possessed man um, you know, was exorcised. The demon was sent out. In chapter 9, they're terrified and they're afraid because Jesus has gone on a mountain and, and the word of God came amidst this experience that a few of his disciples were there to see called the Transfiguration. And then when he begins to predict his death, then it says, and we actually talked about this last week, it says that, but they did not understand what he meant and were afraid. And it goes on and on and on until you get to the very end of the Gospel of Mark. And guess what the last word of the whole Gospel is? Afraid. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. How is that a way to end on a cliffhanger? after they've found the tomb empty. That's very much the way this gospel sees us, as full of fears in our lives and sort of at that, that, that point of saying, What's, what are you going to do with your fears? What's going to happen next? Can you relate to, to being afraid? Can you relate to the idea that, um, you, you know, you have principles, spiritual principles, life principles that you hang on to or you try to hang on to, you've, you've grabbed hold of them emotionally, mentally, but practically speaking, behaviorally, there's often barriers in following through and being loyal to those principles that you're holding to. And, and, and if you're honest, if you're close, and, and you look deep, there's often, what, what's the reason? I know what it is for me. What gets in the way of following through? Some kind of fear. So one person's, you know, one person's afraid to be their true self, even though they know that I want to be my authentic self. So one person's afraid to be who they really are because of fear of rejection from peers, coworkers, parents. Another person's uh, afraid of disappointing parents and so pursues a job or a life that's very different from what's they would pursue otherwise. Another person just is, operates and, and is overworking, is a, really a workaholic and just can't stop. And relationships are suffering and it's all because of a fear of rejection. If I don't, or a feel of fear of failure really. If I don't measure up, if I don't do this, I'm going to feel like a failure. There's going to be some voices in my head that are going to say you didn't measure up. Or, um, I don't know if you remember the movie Rocky, there's some point where he says to Adrian, You know, like why are you doing this, Rocky? And he says, you know, because I I don't want to be a bum. (laughs) You know. It's a universal thing, right? You know, I don't want to be a nobody. I want to be a somebody. You know, well there's a fear, right? A fear that 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 people are gonna view you as a nobody, in whatever way you interpret that. You gotta be a somebody. And there goes, you know, in a sense, you say, like a lot of people say, I I I wanna be humble, or I'm learning about humility, and yet at the same time you're saying, I wanna be a somebody. Sort of the principle, and then the follow-through isn't there. Someone else is afraid that um, that they're going to have to suffer or struggle a little bit financially, and so there's a there's an ideal of generosity or of giving or maybe tithing within the Christian church that is just never followed through on, and it comes down to a fear. It's just really that's just what it is. Sort of afraid of what's going to happen. If I let go of this. Someone else, you know, you're in a relationship and, you know, there's a sense in which in, in the dating realm, you know, there's a sense that I'm afraid I won't, I won't keep this person until I'm compromising myself physically in a way that I, you know, in terms of my principles, eh. But I'm afraid. I'm afraid they'll leave. I'm afraid I'll be alone. You can go on and on and on. Our fears produce flawed devotion. And God restores the fearful. That's the good news. God restores and reinstates and heals the fearful. You know that stories in the early church, uh, reputable stories of Peter exist, and you can look them up, um, writings about how he boldly and bravely went to his own death, being questioned and affirming and giving his testimony, knowing that that, he was going to be executed because of it. That's where Peter ended up. Maybe you also know the story um, in one of the other Gospels where Jesus, on a beach with Peter, just a few days after the story we read, where he reinstates Peter. And the conversation basically goes, um, it's revisiting what has happened. There's a lot of... um, connection in Jesus' words when he's basically saying to Peter, are you really going to be, you know, bolder and braver than everybody else? Because that's what Peter had promised. And Jesus asks him how many times? He asks him three times to revisit that and to say yes. And Peter just basically says, now, all I know is I love you. That's basically the reply if you kind of summarize. He won't give that big rah-rah affirm again. And each time Jesus says to him, Feed my sheep, which is basically a message. Um, minister to my people. You know, serve my people. In the story we read, Jesus says, the sheep will be scattered when the shepherd is struck. And then reinstating Peter. Peter's not a sheep anymore. Now he's a shepherd. You see, how, see the amazing... What, what happens there that Jesus can now lift up Peter, who's failed him, and suddenly elevate him to even higher position than he started. That's a mystery. And uh, I think not often enough as you're reading about Jesus do we stop and wonder about these mysteries and try to figure them out. I think that's what Mark wants us to do. How can Jesus reinstate Peter? He's failed so much. And now he elevates him even higher before. How can Jesus reinstate you? You failed so much. Can I get an Amen. I didn't know if anybody would... It's kind of going out on a limb there. You'd maybe feel, feel attacked and kind of shrink and never come back. A church planter's worst fear. Yeah, you know, we're all a failure. How can Jesus reinstate you? Does he just do it? Is he just so wonderful and nice and, oh, he's just going to reinstate you? Oh, there you go. Be happy. Now you're reinstated. No, there's something behind it. There's something going on. Well, Mark's way of getting at that is this comparison of the um, interrogation. Jesus is being interrogated. Peter's being interrogated. The funny thing to me is Jesus is being asked something that's like a you know a, a punishable crime, and inter- and he'll get executed if he says yes. Are you? And then the the words are Are you the Messiah? The I think the I forget the phrasing, but basically it's. You know, are you going to say you're the son of God? And, and if he says yes, it's going to be off to the cross. And uh, Peter's, the question to Peter is basically, um, aren't you a Galilean? <laughs> I mean, and Jesus says, I am. Peter can't say I am. He, he says, I don't know what you're talking about. He says, forget Jesus, only I think it would come out a little stronger in our world today. Um, what's going on in that is it just a comparison oh isn't that interesting Jesus is better Mark wants you to see it differently he wants you to see it not just as an ironic comparison he wants it to see that the only way Peter can get reinstated is if there is a substitutionary interrogation that if um, you know the only way that Uh, Peter's disloyalty can end up in Peter being instated to be not just a sheep, but a shepherd of the sheep. The only way that can happen is if he gets a substitutionary loyalty. And that's the same for you. The only way, only way you can come out of your failures, the only way you can know Jesus in a kind of way that you have the bravery and the boldness... uh, 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 and, and the, the, that you can get over your fears and you can stick to the things that you have the sense that I know this is what I want, or I know this is what Jesus wants, or I know this is what the Bible tells me is best for me. The only way you can get over your fears for that is to have a substitutionary loyalty. That you drive your fears into the bravery of Christ, into the faithfulness of Christ. And you see that he took on the path of the disloyal so that the disloyal could have the path of the loyal, so that you could receive what is rightfully his, while he receives what is rightfully yours. That's the only way. How do you access it? Now, that's a different story. You know you can hear me talk about this a hundred times, and I can't guarantee you that the penny's going to drop, and you're going to say, suddenly today. I see this in a whole new light and I can drive my fears into that loyalty of Christ and, I, and I'm, I'm making headway on um, the issues in my life where I want to be more loyal and where I don't want to react through fear. I don't know how that's going to happen for you. But I'll, know, I'll, I'll say this, that you're in the right place. You're, you're, you're here, you're listening to Jesus. Keep going to him if this seems like a big mystery to you, getting the substitutionary loyalty of Jesus. Keep coming here. Keep coming to Scripture. Keep bringing your prayers to Jesus and just ask Him to help you understand. Come to the table over here in a little bit and look to be fed by the food of God's grace, by the substitutionary loyalty of Jesus who went to the cross on your behalf. Let us pray. Our God of grace, uh, may we be appropriately crushed by our own disloyalty And may we, um, may you make our hearts ready for the sweetness of your grace. All we can do is humbly receive it, marvel at it, like I'm sure Peter felt after being reinstated at the beach. And later on in life, if someone said, are you a Christian, to Peter, I think he would probably say something like, yeah, I am. (laughs) And it's the craziest thing in the world. It doesn't make any sense. May we reach that kind of humor, that sort of lightness that says, despite our unloyalty and our flakiness and our failed devotion to you, you've chosen us and you reinstate us. Make that come alive, we pray, through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.